Hello, and welcome to Reread, Rewrite, Recommend, a podcast by Muskingum County Library System, where we talk a little about libraries and a lot about books. My name's Sarah. You probably already know that if you've listened to a few other episodes, but here I am. I'm back. I am the outreach assistant here at MCLS, and every month I am here to talk about some book recommendations and about libraries. And every month, I'm also joined by a guest. This month, my guest is Stacy Russell. She is the executive director here at MCLS. It's a pretty big get, the big boss. <laughs> <laughs> As executive director, Stacy provides executive leadership and effective administration and management of the library in accordance with its missions, goals, objectives, and values. She leads staff in making the library an increasingly integral part of the community and ensures that the library is recognized for operational excellence. Stacy represents and promotes the library to the community, encourages the use of the library by all citizens, and communicates the value of the library to the community. Stacy is active in Ohio Government Finance Officers Association, Ohio Library Council, Government Finance Officers Association of the United States and Canada, Muskingum County 4-H, United Way of MPM, Women of Achievement Steering Committee, and Coburn United Methodist Church. She is a Muskingum County native and graduate of John Glenn High School in Marietta College. Stacy has served as the fiscal officer for the MCLS for over 26 years prior to being appointed as executive director. She resides in Zanesville, Ohio with her husband, Matt, and daughter, Madeline, an OSU junior. Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited to be with you. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about, although it was a little hard for me to write questions for you because I'm not 100% confident on what a director does. Well, there are days I'm not confident on what a a director does, (laughs) so it's okay. (laughs) All right. I think that's probably going to be the first question. Um, What does a typical day look like for you? I think the biggest thing for me is there are no more typical days. Um, I think it involves a lot of meetings. Yesterday, I I had one meeting at OUZ to talk about how we can partner and support each other, uh, OUZ and OUZ's and Zane State's library. Mm -hmm. I was on the phone with a board member for a while. I did a couple laps through the main library. It is so exciting to see kids and people back in the library. It has. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. And uh, we've missed them so much. And even though we've been open, people didn't realize we were open is what we're finding. Yeah, I'm getting that too. Every once in a while with a delivery, I'll get asked, so when are you guys opening? I'm like, oh, we've been open for almost a year now. Right. You can, you can come in any time. <laughs> as long as we're open, <laughs> like, hours-wise. Right. So that must have been, like, a really big change going from a job that has a pretty set schedule with definite things that need done every week, every two weeks, to one that's a little more abstract. It has been a challenge for me. Of course, I'm always up for a challenge, but in accounting, it's very process-driven. You know payroll needs done every couple weeks. You're making daily deposits. You're paying bills once a week. You're closing the month and opening a new month once a month. Um, So very process-driven. I've kind of had to flip the switch in my head to think about my day differently and how it works and the kinds of things that I'll be tackling that day. Mm-hmm. I imagine that takes like a lot of multitasking, like you have fingers in pretty much every pie here. It does. 
And I try not to make the staff crazy when I ask them questions. <laughs> I ask a lot of questions. Well, that's that's important. You need to know what's going on. Right. Do you have any tips for multitasking? Like, how are you <laughs> managing? Um, I am, I've always been a list keeper. And I sometimes get a little frustrated when I don't make as much headway on my list now as I used to. But I'm very much a list keeper and prioritizing and um, definitely using my Google Calendar. Yes, the Google Calendar is fantastic. And I've also found, like I've noticed that there's like a tasks app on the calendar. And it's very satisfying to be able to click them off and watch them vanish. Right. I haven't been as much of a list keeper. That might convert me. (laughs) I really like that. You grew up in Zanesville, which is pretty cool. Um, do you have any memories of the library growing up or like any comments on how it's changed, like even in the 26 years you've been here? So this is a story I really like to share. Um, I grew up between New Concord and Adamsville. So my primary library was the New Concord Branch Library. Oh, okay. And Carmeline Sturtz was the librarian oh gosh, there. She is still the librarian. Yeah. So over 40 years. So um, she was my librarian. Um, I can remember going into the building before we built the branch and what it was like. I can almost see the card catalog and how the library was. The library has always been a very important place for me. I actually had never been in the John McIntyre Library until my my interview. Oh, wow. Because I used New Concord yeah. Branch Library um, so much. But I have a long history with libraries. Uh, As a kindergartner, my school library, I attempted to check out a little house in the prairie book. And in 1975, five-year-olds did not read. Oh, yeah. And the librarian did not want to let me check it out. But my grandmother marched me back down there to the school library. And she would read a chapter or two of Little House in the Prairie to my sister and I each day. You know, I've always had a love of reading and a love of libraries. When I was in college, I worked at our school library, our college library, yeah. um, in serials. Oh, very cool. So like uh, newspapers, magazines. Newspapers, magazines. A lot of what I did was pulling stuff to send to the bindery because as a college library, you keep a lot of those magazines and you get them bound and then checking them back in when they come back from the bindery and getting them on the shelves and in the catalog. So. Yeah, I bet a lot of students appreciate those for research purposes. I'm sure they do. Oh, yeah. So when I was growing up, I was also more of a branch library user. This was in Stark County. We grew up Canton area. My grandma would always take us to story time in the Tuscarawas County Library, and that Bolivar branch is still the one that my mom and my grandma use to this day. So, yeah, it's it's fun to see, like, how the buildings change and, like, get renovated or even built new branches. And It is fun. So we've talked a little bit about the library's past. We are always trying to look forward here at MCLS. We really want to be innovative and bring the best service we can to our communities. Do you have a vision or any thoughts as to where you'd like to see the library go in the next couple of years? Like any sneak peeks? I don't know about sneak peeks. I can tell you one of my goals for the library system is that when other people in the community or other entities in the community are trying to work on a project and they're looking for a partner, Mm -hmm. they think of the library first. Yeah. That's what I really want to happen. And if we, if it doesn't fit our mission, then we can connect them with someone that it would fit their mission better. Exactly. And that's really what one of my big goals is. I think another challenge for us um, will be figuring out as we come out of the pandemic, what stays and what goes, because most of the time in relation to the pandemic, we talk about the challenges. There's been a ton of opportunities. For sure. For libraries, curbside service being one of them, the hybrid model of programming with recorded versions 
questions. So we're meeting people where they are when they want to see us versus come to our building for our program. Exactly. We still want people to do that and we're anxious for them to come back and do that. I think it'll be a challenge for us to figure out what the in-between is. We're all looking forward to getting back to a little bit more sense of normalcy. Yeah. Well, even the podcast is something that was very much born out of. It was very much born. It started with your top five live. And I think I've told you multiple times how much I enjoyed it. And it introduced me to some genres that I was not aware of. Cozy, Cozy Mysteries being one of them. Yes. So the podcast has been a great thing. Your your top five live was great also during the pandemic and the stay at home. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like the podcast a little bit better. I had no editing experience before I started this, so I wasn't comfortable doing video. So it was very much it had to be live because I was not going to go back and touch it after it was done. So this is nicer because I don't have to be on camera. (laughs) Well, I I can tell you, your smile comes through the podcast, even though we can't see you. Thank you. (laughs) So it's one of my favorite things is um, your infectious nature with your smile and your your laugh. Thanks. You're welcome. All right, so I always end these interviews with the same two questions, and those are, what is your favorite part of your job, and what is your least favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job, I think, would be when I am out interacting with the staff or library customers, and even sometimes when the customers are are a little bit mad or upset at something we may may not be able to do or accommodate them for. I still love a chance to be in our branches and on the main floor here at John McIntyre, seeing people and listening to what they're looking for and things like that. Probably my least favorite thing would be meetings. Oh, no. And I have a lot of them. I know. It sounded like that was a big part of your job. It is. Oh, no. (laughs) So, I mean, maybe I should qualify that. Some meetings. Yeah, unnecessary meetings. Right. Meetings that could have been an email. <laughs> yes. That's the meme, right? Exactly. <laughs> Hello, listener. Are you listening to this podcast between July 11th and July 24th? If so, you're able to redeem a summer reading bonus badge. Go to muskinghamlibrary.beanstack.org and enter code LISTEN, all caps, to redeem bonus badge 4, which will enter you into a drawing for a bonus prize. That's LISTEN, L-I-S-T-E-N, all caps, by July 24th. So I guess we will go ahead and transition into the main part of the podcast, which is the rereads and the rewrites and the recommends. Did you have any sort of um, theme or thoughts when you were picking titles? Well, it was a little hard for me because I'm a skimmer. When I read. So I do not always remember what I've read, which is actually a shift for me. When I was growing up, I was a big mystery reader. Nancy Drew was my jam. I think I've read all of the ones that we had at the time in the 1980s at the New Concord branch. I don't read mysteries so much anymore because I feel like I have to keep track of characters and I don't because I skim and because sometimes I fall asleep while I'm reading. (laughs) Fair enough. I don't remember. So I'm more, much more a uh, light reading, um, chick lit kind of genre person, um, though I do read a lot of nonfiction also. So I have like a mix for you today. Wonderful. I think the mixes are the best ones because you get to talk about like a lot of different things and not just the same thing six times. And I think skimming and like realizing when you're skimming can be really important for authors because obviously the author wants you to read the book. So knowing which parts was like, eh, I didn't really want to read this part. That can be a very useful critique. Hmm. 
for authors. I so, never thought of it that way. Yeah, don't don't feel bad about doing that. <laughs> Any reading is valid reading. Right. So for me, I had a theme, um, and then my rewrite kind of broke the theme. Oh. So I was trying to find a book that would have fit the theme, which was going to be for Pride Month. I was going to do three LGBTQ books, but I could not get my rewrite out of my head. So I'm just like, it's fine. If I'm this passionate about wanting to talk about it, I'll just talk about it. And then I stumbled onto an accidental theme. All of these books are book three in a series. Wow. I did not intend it, but that's what it is. So (laughs) my theme is book three. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good theme. Yeah. We'll, We'll see how it goes. I'm a little all over the place with my genres, so that's not a theme. All right, so you are my guest, so I will defer to you if you are comfortable with that. Um, So my reread is actually a little recent. Um, It's The Beach House by Mary Alice Monroe. She's one of my favorite authors. Uh, She's an easy reading author for me. She's also a beach type person. Nice. Very much North and South Carolina. I was born in Charleston, South Carolina, so I I tend to gravitate towards some of those kinds of beach reads. Um, But part of the reason I want to reread it is because it is a Hallmark movie now. Oh, and it, nice. it was on Saturday night. Hopefully my husband is not listening, but he and I <laughs> both will watch Hallmark movies more in the winter. But if we don't have anything else going, we will turn on the Hallmark channel, mostly because if you fall asleep in the middle, you kind of know how it's going to turn out. Oh, exactly. It's totally so fine. So it's easy. Saturday nights was the beach house. So he was asking me a lot of questions about how it compared to the actual book. Mm-hmm. And um, it was kind of hard for me for a minute because I did fall asleep in the middle of it briefly. You know, big differences between the two for me were in the book, the brother was a little bit of an alcoholic. He he liked to drink. And in the Hallmark movie, of course, he was not really shown that way. He had a drink in his hand, but he wasn't really shown that way. Yeah. So the whole premise of the story is a daughter that has left home to kind of go and make her way in the world. And she comes back to visit her mother who owns a beach house outside of Charleston. The mother has cancer and is sick. And so she sticks around. She's at, the daughter has actually lost her job. She just doesn't tell the mother that in the beginning. And the mother is uh, very ensconced in the beach life. She's a turtle lady. A turtle lady? So a turtle lady, um, she watches for the sea turtles to come up on the beach and lay their eggs. And then she helps mark and protect the nests. Oh, that's very cool. So um, the daughter, Kara, kind of gets involved in that toward the end. But it kind of goes through their story. They face a hurricane. It was an easy read. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit different than the book. But I want to reread the book now with the perspective, and I I don't think I've ever really done that before. Yeah, that that sounds really fun. A lot of times when books get turned into movies, I try to read the book before the movie. Mm -hmm. Television shows, too. Like, I haven't watched Shadow and Bone yet because I I need to reread Shadow and Bone. I'd be interested to hear, like, how it compares and what that experience is like. Well, it's on my list. I need to uh, put it on hold. Most of my reading is on my iPad now. Mm -hmm. It's just easier because I can carry multiple books with me in my purse on my iPad. (laughs) I might have to pick this one up. We go to um, the Outer Banks every year. So I like to try to read one that's set in the Carolinas every time I'm out that way. And actually, I think it's part of a, she's got kind of a series. I'm not sure that all of the characters connect all the way through. I think there's six or seven books. I'm not sure that they do. And when I was 
looking at it again for this podcast, I was like, there's six books. Have I read all of those? And then I thought, oh, you probably have. You just skimmed them so you don't remember parts of them. <laughs> so. Yeah, it happens. You can always re-pick them up, right? Right. Read different parts. Right. Anything else you wanted to say about my reread? So I I wasn't sure if it goes like my reread, your reread. Yes. Okay. Yep. It's okay. Your You're up. Then my reread. All right. Well, in that case, we will transition to my reread, and that is Record of a Spaceborn Few by Becky Chambers, which is book three of the Wayfarers series. Listener, you might have to bear with me because I think in an upcoming episode, I'm going to talk Becky Chambers again because her new release just downloaded onto my phone. So <laughs> that might end up happening. So each book in Wayfarers is a little bit different. Book one is more space opera-y, so if you like Star Wars or Firefly, book one is going to be the book for you. Book two takes that really, really big scope of an entire ship, and it shrinks it down to just two people. It's very AI-centric, so that's like the really introspective AI book. Book three, I found this way of describing it on Goodreads. And I'm going to credit the person who wrote it, which is Samantha. Her at is Thoughts on Tomes. And this one is a slice of life speculative fiction. <laughs> Basically, all of this to say, the premise is that we are doing a really human-centric look at the Exodus fleet. And this fleet is like a living relic group of ships. They are the last ships that left Earth before Earth became uninhabitable. And the people who left on these ships... They didn't know there was other life in the galaxy. They just knew that they couldn't stay on Earth, and they just kind of hoped. <laughs> Part of their little like community mission statement is, to the stars we hope. Yeah, they wander in the desert, I guess. It's the Exodus fleet, a little biblical reference there. And yeah, they eventually find life. This happened many centuries ago. And now humans are part of this very active galactic community, but there are still people who live on the Exodus fleet. Um, so this book kind of examines the Exodus fleet several hundred years after it was built um, and after first contact with alien life, and it almost kind of reads like a documentary hmm. of the Exodus fleet. I have a hard time describing it because a lot of times when you do descriptions of a book, you talk about what the plot is. This book is very light on plot. <laughs> if you're a person who reads for plot, you're probably not going to like this one. For me, like I will read for plot, but like I don't necessarily need plot. Like I'll read for characters. And this is... Characters and descriptions. Exactly. I love descriptions. Yeah. You might like this one then if you ever want to venture into science fiction. <laughs> We're following either six or seven different people, all of which have a different relationship or job or perspective on the Exodus fleet. And as we follow all of these characters and how they interact with the fleet and how they interact with each other, Becky Chambers kind of draws this idea of what humanity is, especially when you look at a world where personhood isn't humanhood. Like, there are different races and species of creatures who are all people. What does it mean to be human in a sense that human is not the default person? 
I don't know. It sounds high concept when I say it like that, but I don't feel as though it was super high concept. I feel like really that's kind of a good book Mm -hmm. right now for Pride Month. Oh, yeah. Well, Becky Chambers is fantastic. Um, She lives with her wife in California, and um, the representation in this entire series is really cool because, as I said, you have different um, species within all of these books, and the biodiversity is great, and like the way people view gender and the way that people view like relationships and all that sort of stuff is going to be different because all of these beings hail from different planets and different societies and she just does a really good job integrating all of that in a supernatural way and I love it (laughs) (laughs) oh so I didn't talk about why I want to reread this one okay (laughs) so let's do that so I think the main reason that I'm interested in reading rereading this one in particular out of the entire series So this book came out two years ago, like 2019, and I feel as though even in like those two years between 2019 and right now, my idea of how people exist in a community, how people prioritize like their wants and needs, like either for themselves or their family, and like rank that on a like hierarchy of how they live has really changed. (laughs) So I'll be interested to reread this one with my updated thoughts on that and see what I take away from it this time. That would be interesting. I think, especially when you think about it in relation to COVID Mm -hmm. and the pandemic and how it's changed people's habits. For sure. Like a lot has happened. A lot has happened. Since March, 2020. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, I'm I'm really excited to reread this one. And as I said, I have book four currently downloaded onto my phone and it's going to be very different. Again, I'll probably talk about this at a point in the near future but this one is like about an intergalactic truck stop (laughs) (laughs) so as you can probably tell each book is very different from the next one and i liked this one i especially liked how like it was almost presented like a documentary like a lot of people when they watch documentaries they're just like yes i'm going to watch this documentary and be presented with information with no bias But that's not what documentaries are. Like, a lot of documentaries have a spin or an angle, and they are presenting this information to you in some sort of thesis statement. Yeah, I think Becky Chambers does a good job of hitting that feel to it. Yeah, it's just something I found interesting, and I liked it a lot. Oh, good. That does sound interesting. Yeah. I especially like the intergalactic truck stop. Right? Because that's, like, the best people watching ever. Yes. I was a waitress for three years at a diner. (laughs) But truck stops tend to have diners, and I anticipate there being an intergalactic diner. So I'm like extra invested because (laughs) I just love that. I actually didn't hate waitressing. It was a pretty good gig. I've only done just a very, very small amount of waitressing. At a like at a diner, or so like... actually it was while I was in high school when um, Skingham University would have their alumni weekend. A lot of their dinners were seated dinners, and so oh. they would bring people in to help serve the seated dinners for the alumni from okay. Skingham. And I think I had two or three summers where I did that off and on when different classes would come in. That's pretty much the extent, unless you count. Providing dinner to my husband and daughter. Sometimes (laughs) I I feel like I'm serving them. Of course. All right. So that was my reread. We'll move on to your rewrite. So my rewrite 
I'm ashamed to say I have no rewrites. Oh, that's okay. And that is because if I don't like a book, I don't have to get very far before I stop. Yeah. So I guess I'm not an overachiever that I will power through (laughs) a book that I hate. If I don't like it, I will just put it down. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I could tell you any one book that I would definitely rewrite. There are lots of books, though, that I wish would continue. Okay. So you get to the end of it and you wish that it would continue because you're invested in that character oh, or I the characters. Oh, yeah. And it's a good feeling and it's a terrible feeling. Mm-hmm. And it can go both ways because some of them are series. And then you're like, oh, I have to wait until the next book comes out. Yeah. And some of them are not series and you know it's not a series and you wish it was. And like the author has gone on Twitter and said, stop asking about a sequel. There's no series. Right. And you're like, but like maybe, maybe. But I think that's where you get to use your imagination and take those characters and have a little dream about where those characters might be. There's a reason fan fiction is so popular on the internet. Is there something that a book will do that will just make you put it down instantly? That's a good question. I'm trying to think. Sometimes it's just the the way it's written, like some of the language that is used even. And sometimes, even though I say I like descriptions, sometimes it's just too much. <laughs> yeah. Especially up top. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's just too much or I just can't get invested in the character. Mm-hmm. You know, the main character or even any character, oh, because no. sometimes I feel like I'm like, just give me one character that I can care about and be invested in exactly. how this is going to turn out. And if I can't find anybody, I'll put it down. That makes sense. So what's your rewrite? Because I'm sure you have one. I do. So as I said, this is the one that broke the theme. Like I could not get this out of my head. And that is Whispers Underground by Ben Aronovich. This is book three of his Rivers of London series, which is like an urban fantasy, like police procedural type of thing. And they're very fun. I like them. Our main character, his name is Peter Grant, and he is a London constable. And also he is an apprentice wizard. He, yeah, in book one, he was like standing on a street just because. That's what he does. He's a constable or whatever. And this person comes up to him and like starts reporting a crime. But it turns out that person was a ghost. So he gets like thrown into this investigation where the main witness is a ghost and he doesn't know what to do. Turns out he has magical abilities, whatever. It's really fun. (laughs) And all of like the crimes in this series have some sort of potential magical elements. And that's why Peter and his master i don't know you have an apprentice and like the person he's apprenticed to his name's nightingale so that's why peter and nightingale normally get called on to things so this book starts they find a body in the tubes like um it's the baker street tube station and it turns out that this person is a young artist in an american named james gallagher And so they are trying to figure out who killed James Gallagher, and his dad's a U.S. senator, so they send over, like, some FBI lady to help, and that's kind of the setup. If you read the back of this book, it kind of has the FBI agent set up as this this Christian lady who's going to be, like, really angry if any magic stuff happens. That's not in the book. (laughs) And I was so upset because I'm like, ooh, Peter's going to have to hide the magic. Like, it's going to be super, like, sneaky. And I thought it was going to be a really fun and interesting dynamic. Doesn't appear at all. I was so mad. So, Well, that's misleading. The main thing, yes, the main thing I would rewrite 
is the blurb on the back of the book. <laughs> like, how dare they? I'm so angry about it. I don't know if a lot of people know this. The person who writes the blurb on the back, there's like a separate person who does that. That's a job that publishing companies will hire for. And the author has no say or control over what the blurbs are. I had no idea. Isn't that so interesting? You would think, yeah, you would have the author do it. I'm trying to decide if I would want that job or not. I think it would be really fun, but like... It's an embarrassing story. I'm a people pleaser, so I would oh, okay. want the author to be, like, happy with what I wrote as my blurb. Yeah. I feel as though, depending on, like, the author and, like, publisher relationship, like, an author can be like, eh. Like, they can get veto power on some stuff. Like, sometimes they get a little bit of say and cover, but not a ton of say and cover design or anything like that. So I would imagine the same goes with blurb work, but... Hmm. Yeah, so whoever blurbed this book, I don't want to blame poor Ben Aronovich, but <laughs> that's not even a little bit of a plot point. It's not even mentioned. I assume the FBI agent is evangelical because she's from Texas, but like that might just be a stereotype that I have. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Doesn't even appear. I was really upset. <laughs> I had a couple other things that I also would rewrite. One, there is this like pottery link that goes throughout that ends up being really important and the way Ben Aronovich describes it every time is exactly the same so you have like this pot shirt that was used to kill James and then you have a statue that was found at his house both are described as like earthenware pottery Peter can get vestigia from both which is like kind of a magical signature but like they don't figure out that they're linked until like two-thirds of the way through like, the, as soon as they introduced the statue, I'm like, the providence of this pottery is going to be important. And I was very, I don't know, impatient with them being slow, slow on the uptake, because obviously the pottery is the link. Mm-hmm. Like, guys, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have either had Peter discover that sooner, or I would have tried to hide that clue a little bit better, because it was just glaringly obvious. Or maybe I just read too much mystery and I I noticed it. Also, one more minor complaint. So as I said, this is a series. Peter being trained in magic is kind of like our overarching theme throughout all of the books. In book two, they introduced this kind of big bad villain who I think is going to get like a multiple book arc. Hmm. And there was a little bit of this guy... The Faceless Man is what he's called in this book, but like not enough to make it worth the mention, I don't think. Like I get that a series is going to have some overarching mythology. I don't know if it's called mythology or anything other than X-Files. The X-Files is like my source of all knowledge. It's the only <laughs> thing I know. <laughs> it just, it was in there and it seemed like a blurp, like a little afterthought. There was like a little at the beginning and a little at the end and... It just felt very much like an episode of television that is trying to link stuff together and not succeeding very well. So I think I probably would have left that out. Not talking about the faceless man in this book wouldn't have made me forget him. Like if he becomes a bigger part of book four or book five, which I haven't read yet, I would have remembered. Like, I don't think the overarching mythology was necessary here. Other than that, I really liked it. If you like urban fantasy, you'll probably like this one. If you're a person who complains about the link between urban fantasy and romance, 
these will be for you because there's very little romance in any of them. They are like more of a traditional mystery style urban fantasy. So yeah, that's very right. I learned a lot. Oh, good. The, this whole <laughs> blurb writing. I know. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I think I learned about covers. Artists, not artists, authors not having say in the covers before I learned about blurbs. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Covers, blurbs, all that is marketing. So you want someone who understands the marketing, who understands what makes books sell to do that because you're more likely to get better sales with a book that way. Yeah, it's just counterintuitive. You think the author would do that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. I want to put the caveat that most of this is with traditional publishing. Self-published authors are pretty much doing it all. This is with traditional publishing. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, we are moving right along. Why don't we go ahead and talk about our recommends? So I actually have two recommends since I kind of flaked out on you on the rewrite. So um, one of the books that I have been reading for far too long, but I actually had to buy it. I had borrowed it from our library and I actually had to buy it because I needed to take notes in it. It's called Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action by Simon Sinek. And the premise of it is if you can clearly communicate your why for something, then you inspire people to act. Okay. The inspiration isn't because you're making an, an inspiring speech or um, that you're making the argument that someone should act, why someone should or shouldn't act. It's because people understand your why. Mm -hmm. The motivation for the why and to act comes from, it becomes personal to people because yeah. they understand the why. So he talks a lot about the golden circle, which this will be kind of hard on a podcast to kind of imagine, but it's three circles within each other. The outer one would be what you do. So um, pretty much everybody knows what you do. I know what I do here, or I'm figuring it out as the new <laughs> director. <laughs> um, I'm working on that. The next ring in would be how you do it. Most people, some people know how they do it. Some people just know they do it, depending on what kind of setting you're in. And then the inner circle is the why. And it talks about why you do what you do, what your purpose, what your cause, what your belief is. So um, I've really been thinking about that a lot for the library yeah, and the why. And I think our mission tells a lot of the why, especially uh, the tail end of it when it talks about connecting people to information, ideas, and each other. But I think that we can do better. I think that we need to live our mission a little bit better or make it more at our forefront about why we're doing things. For sure. And I think that that will help us. It's really interesting. He actually goes into a lot of companies and talks about how they communicate or how they market. So it really is kind of interesting. It is nonfiction. So I've, yeah. I have worked to get through parts of it, <laughs> but it's been really interesting to me and helped me think about things a little bit differently. So I would recommend that one to someone that is a leader in any kind of organization or wants to be a leader. Yeah, like wants to move up. Yeah. That's really cool. So the other one is a little bit more kind of a traditional, it's, an, it's a biography, um, actually an autobiography. It's called Five Presidents, My Extraordinary Journey with Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, and Ford by Clint Hill. And he was a Secret Service agent. Oh. And he served all of those presidents. How neat. So it, it kind of took you through all of the presidents and he got to travel with the presidents. So you get kind of his perspective of some history that was happening mm -hmm. because he was there. I didn't go back and compare to see how accurate what he was saying <laughs> matched up, but it was really very, very interesting. He actually, after President Kennedy was assassinated, 
was in charge of Mrs. Kennedy's detail for a while. He talked about being asked to move off the presidential detail to Mrs. Kennedy's detail. His thought process on that and how the presidential detail is very prestigious. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And then moving off to serve a former first lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also talked about her kids and getting to see them grow up and how the Secret Service interacted with them. So it was really kind of interesting. And I I kind of like that era anyway. The cool thing was I had mentioned it to someone at church that I was reading it and that I really liked it. And they like biographies and autobiographies. So after I returned it, she borrowed it. Oh, nice. And I didn't know that. But then... I don't know, probably two months later, I was um, downstairs and one of our board members came in and she's like, I'm, I'm returning this book. So-and-so recommended it to me. I'm like, that came from me. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So there was a chain of like four ladies that read it after I did because I recommended it. So that was kind of cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Inspiration at work. I know. (laughs) What's your recommend today? Well, actually... Um, the last book that you talked about almost put me in mind of Assassination Vacation by Sarah Val. It, it's also kind of like a autobiography type of thing. She does like introspective memoir and essay. And her and her dad took a vacation to like assassination sites like across the country. And basically did like this presidential assassination tour. That's kind of cool. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so if... That's the type of thing you like. It might be a read-alike. I haven't read your recommend, so I don't know if it's like a true read-alike. But I don't know. Same sort of vein. Mm-hmm. Kind of neat. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to think about people that take vacations like that. That's true. I, I mean, I, my, my vacations are like to the beach <laughs> so I can read more or something like that. I'm the type of person, like I, I said a little earlier, we do a vacation to the beach every year. And me and my dad will go off to like the history museum while everybody else is like on the beach i think partially because we sunburn very easily and if i don't reapply sunscreen every like hour and a half i will be in pain but partially just because like that's one of the things we connect over is is history so the outer banks especially which is where we normally go has like a really really cool history um with roanoke and also just like pirateering and all the sort of shipwrecks that you get down that way yeah i can see why she would do that although i've never planned a road trip specifically around Around something like that so maybe it doesn't quite translate close yeah close we actually honeymooned in um avon and hatteras nice so and we have stayed in corolla and duck several different times i haven't been down that far i want to do a lighthouse tour problem is i'm never the one who drives so i never have a car when i'm down there eventually i will get a better car and then i'll be confident driving it to north carolina and then i will do a lighthouse tour because yeah i haven't seen hatteras we've never been down that that far south we've done that and i can't remember what the island is that after you go below avon can't remember what it's called but you have to take a ferry to it we did that one year too so that's really cool it was very cool so it's one of my favorite places we haven't vacationed there for quite some time but it is one of my favorite places yeah it's one of mine too we're we're going in september this will be theodore's first trip oh that will be be fun yeah he's gonna be walking so it's gonna be a little (laughs) nerve-wracking but (laughs) yeah it'll be really fun all right i guess we will go to my recommend yes so my recommend 
I said that my theme was book threes. Technically, this is the entire series I'm recommending, though I am going to linger on book three. So my recommend is the Brown Sisters series by Talia Hibbert. This is a contemporary romance series that is probably one of my favorite contemporary romance series. Um, The last one, Act Your Age, Eve Brown, just came out a couple months ago. And with that, the series is complete. So if you are looking for something that you can just read all three really quickly, this is a great one because you're not going to be left hanging. Each book is a different Brown sister. So book one is Get a Life, Chloe Brown. Book two is Take a Hint, Danny Brown. And then, as I said, book three is Act Your Age, Eve Brown. And yeah, we just follow these sisters as they find love. Hmm. And they're really delightful. I feel like maybe I've read one of those, but I don't remember. Maybe. So the first one with Chloe, Chloe has um, like a website building business and she ends up like falling for the land guy at the apartment complex she lives in. She deals with chronic pain and stuff like that. So the whole get a life thing was really like revolving around her feeling like she was very much bound to her apartment and she needed different accessibility stuff to be able to get out and about. And so she kind of recruits Red, who is that land guy, into like taking her out and about so that she can have a life outside of the apartment. And they fall in love. (laughs) Because it's a romance novel, so obviously it's not a spoiler. And then Take a Hint, Danny Brown follows Danny, who is a graduate student going for her master's degree in English. And she's just really awesome. She's teaching at the college, and she's like a witchy bisexual lady who is awesome. She falls in love with the security guy at the building, and it's, it's their relationship. But Eve Brown, book three, that was my favorite one. Like I relate to Eve Brown so much. <laughs> I love her. So here are some of the ways I relate to Eve Brown, just in a list, because I wrote them as a list on my paper. <laughs> I don't want to format it any other way. So Eve listens to like the same song on repeat pretty much throughout the entire day. Like she'll always have an earbud in and the music helps her focus. And the song she chooses basically sets the mood for her whole day. And that's something that I do. Not every day, but a lot of days. Like I was telling you a little bit earlier that TikTok Harmony, that's mm-hmm. the only thing I've listened to all day. And consider that it gets only like a 15 second clip. <laughs> I would be like, I, it has to have been several hundred times I've listened to it today. <laughs> and it's just going on and on. So I related. I do that too. She also picks the wrong words a lot. And I find myself doing that. I'll listen back to the podcast and I'll be like, that's not the word that you wanted. (laughs) Sometimes it still makes sense in context. Um, Sometimes people just knew what I meant so they didn't correct me. So I do that all the time and Eve does that. And the way her sisters react to it's always very cute. And I enjoy that. And the main like inciting incident of the novel is Eve is like 26. She still lives at home. She kind of flits from job to job to job. And every time something goes wrong, she's like, all right, burn it down. I'm never doing this ever again. (laughs) And so um, at the beginning of the novel, she was planning a wedding for somebody and they have doves that were releasing at this wedding. Apparently, when you release doves at a wedding, dove poop is a concern. So they don't feed the doves 
for several days before the wedding so they don't poop on your guests, which is very mean and cruel. And Eve was not okay yes. with this animal abuse. So I agree with Eve. I know. It's really messed up, right? So she releases the doves and feeds them so that the doves couldn't be released at the wedding. And the bride was really upset because she wanted these doves released at her wedding. And Eve was like, no, I will not stand for this. I didn't realize they weren't going to be feeding these animals or I wouldn't have done this. Like, I would have told you no in the first place. But the bride gets angry and writes negative review. And Eve decides, oh, I'm a bad wedding planner. I shouldn't be a wedding planner. Burn it down. (laughs) So her parents are like, look, you change careers every couple of months. Like, this isn't sustainable. We love you and we want to support you, but we're going to cut you off financially. Like, you need to act your age you're you're 26 so she's upset and she is driving through the streets and she stumbles across a bnb that's hiring for a cook and they have open interviews and she's just dressed in like a saying t-shirt and jeans but she just strolls in she's like so about this cook position (laughs) (laughs) and like hits the owner with her car accidentally but still gets the job (laughs) and it's her and the inn owner falling in love which is adorable, but, like, I am a little bit the same way. Like, if I think I'm bad at something, I want nothing to do with it ever again, which is not great. (laughs) I try very hard not to let that run my life, but I related to Eve a lot in those moments where she was like, well, guess I'm never going to that town again. (laughs) I think sometimes those are the best books. Yeah. Where you relate and you almost become that person while you're reading it. That's one of my favorite things. Self-inserting into Eve. Um, Also, I liked her um, protagonist a lot. Like, her her love interest was my favorite of the group. Talia Hibbert also does a lot of really cool, inclusive neurodivergency. So, Jacob is actually autistic. And the way she portrays that, Talia Hibbert's also on the autism spectrum. So, it's a little bit own voices in that way. And, like, towards the end of the book, we realize that Eve is just undiagnosed autistic as well which is pretty typical girls are just underdiagnosed in general with um, autism spectrum disorder because it presents a little differently so yeah i think this series is delightful and i love it so much and i love talia hibbert she is really fun but this series is actually pretty popular and i was on um talia's twitter before doing this podcast and um, apparently they are doing a limited release of this series in hardcover with sprayed edges and they are beautiful and if you know anything about modern romance publishing a lot of times these books don't get hardcover releases they just kind of go automatically to a paperback release so the fact that these are getting republished as hardcovers like really special, fancy, shiny hardcovers. I think that just kind of speaks for itself. Like, they're, are you going to have to add them to your collection? I might. These are specifically through Illumicrate. Is that? I don't know. It's one of the book subscription services. I want to say it's Illumicrate, and yeah, I might have to add them because the previews look gorgeous, and I do really love this series. So, yeah, if you are a romance person and if you're a romance person, you've already heard of Talia Hibbert. Like, you, I don't need to recommend these to you. If you're a romance person, you've probably already read them. But if you are someone who is looking to get into romance or isn't sure if they will like romance, 
you can't go wrong with Talia. She's amazing, and I highly recommend them. Cool. Yeah. So I think we did it. I think that's the podcast. I hope so. I feel like I was very underprepared no. with my beach house. You're totally fine. So. Nope. You can't be underprepared. Like, if you would have just brought three titles and a general idea of what they were about, we would have found something to talk about. I can dig. But yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your your busy schedule of meetings. I think you saved me from a meeting. So I think that's good. So thank you for having me. I'm so excited about the podcast in general and honored to be asked to be on it. Well, I'm glad you said yes. So... (laughs) Yeah, I will be back next month. We're going to have a, a different guest. I, I always say that, and then I feel like it's rude. <laughs> Got to be back with somebody Somebody else. Not somebody you. is not you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll eventually think of a better way to word that. Um, but if you ever want to come back, feel free. Okay. There's always something to talk about. There is. <laughs> yep. And thank you, listener, for listening all the way to the end. I really appreciate it. I will be back next month with more books to talk about. If you have any questions or if you would like to submit your own reset of books, please email me. That's at outreach at muskinghamlibrary.org, and we may read them on the pod. You can find more information about NCLS at muskinghamlibrary.org. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps new listeners find the show. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I will talk to you next time.